This episode is sponsored by State Farm. You a small business owner looking for insurance that fits your needs and budget? Well, look no further than State Farm. State Farm agents are not just insurance providers. They're also small business owners who live and work right here in your community. They understand the unique challenges of running and protecting a small business. When it comes to small business insurance, State Farm knows what it takes. Create a plan that fits your needs and your budget. State Farm agents are ready to help you choose personalized policies that truly understand your business. Ensure your small business with a fellow small business owner. Talk to a State Farm agent today and get started on personalized small business insurance that fits your needs. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today. This podcast is sponsored by Ramp. Are you the decision maker in your company? Consider this. For the first time in decades, there's a better option for a corporate card and spend management platform. Meet Ramp, the only corporate card and spend management system designed to help you spend less money so you can make more. Most corporate credit cards offer points as incentives, but those points amount to less than their worth in real cash value. Ramp's business cards offer you cash back, real money in your pocket. Plus, you control who spends what with each vendor. And Ramp software collects and verifies receipts automatically, which means you'll stop wasteful spending and close your books in hours instead of days. Businesses that use Ramp add up to 5% to their bottom line the first year. If you're a decision maker, adding Ramp could be one of the best decisions you've ever made. And now get $250 when you join Ramp for free. Just go to ramp.com slash easy. Ramp.com slash easy. R-A-M-P dot com slash easy. Cards issued by Sutton Bank and Celtic Bank members of DIC terms and conditions apply. I wanted to give a shout out to my cousin Sarah, an ER nurse, saving lives at the Bay State Franklin Medical Center. She's working hard so we can get back to stacking Benjamins. Live from Joe's mom's basement, it's the Stacking Benjamin Show. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug, and happy day after Easter. You know what that means. Yeah, discount candy. So many delicious options. So little money. So little money. Hey, Joe. When did you say I'm getting that raise again? I need an advance on my paycheck. Because, I mean, I'm buying candy for all the neighborhood kids. They're finally going to love me. Yeah, well, just step on it, would you, pal? Speaking of candy, check out the pure sugar we're bringing on today's show. Ever wonder how you could sell yourself better? Today, we'll find out how from the woman who's lead benefit auctioneer at Christie's Auction House and one of Gotham Magazine's most influential women in New York, Lydia Finette. During our headlines, we'll discuss why it's important to save no matter how much you earn, and we'll also toss out the Haven Lifeline to a lucky caller. Yeah, of course, I'll treat you to some candy-themed trivia. And now, two guys who are not getting high, not on my supply of candy it's Joe and O-J-J-J-J-G. I get all the Cadbury eggs. Just saying. Call in the Cadbury eggs. I always think it's funny how everybody talks about how their kids like raid the candy. And in our house, we'll have this candy until Halloween. The diminishing return of enjoyment just happens so quickly in our house. They're like, yeah candy. Maybe you should just hand it to Doug to give to neighborhood kids. I know. 
about, t- about time. And you get money per pound <laughs> when you turn it in at our dentist. <laughs> that is cha-ching. That's great. Hey, everybody, welcome to No Cavities for the Win podcast. I'm Joe Salci. I average Joe Money on Twitter. And welcome to Monday. You have a fantastic, you guys celebrate Easter. You have a fantastic weekend. We did. It was a little, uh, the weather wasn't perfect. And usually, you know, we have family over and a big dinner and an Easter egg hunt, and we go to church, and none of that happened this week, so that kind of sucks. But it was, you know, it's like another Tuesday. I, I don't know the difference between <laughs> Tuesdays and Sundays at this point. This is just a dress-up Tuesday with eggs hidden around the backyard. Exactly. Yeah. Hey, uh, if you want hidden gems in your email every week, how about that? Head to stackybenjamins.com forward slash stacker. There you will find all of the tips that are available online consolidated. Yes. Every single one of them in one place. All of it. A little truth in advertising there. Head to stackybenjamins.com forward slash stacker. You'll find out everything happening in the basement and you'll learn some better money management techniques there. Also brought to you by Doug 2020. Who wrote this thing? Doug 2020, the candidate who's not at all crooked. We got a great show today. (laughs) Lydia Finette coming up on today's show. Lydia OG is an auctioneer. We've never had an auctioneer on here. Christie's Auction House. I wonder if she's. Hey, better, better, swing, better. I wonder if she's. Yeah, I wonder if she's going to sound like like an old British guy. You know, we'll see. But first, we've got some headlines. So let's get the party started. Hello, darlings. And now it's time for your favorite part of the show, our Stacking Benjamins headlines. Our first headline comes to us from Yahoo Sports. Anytime when there's no sports on TV and I can reference sports, I'm going to do it right now, OG. I'm just telling you, I'm going to do it because... Have you seen the news about the uh, Major League Baseball wanting to play all of their baseball games in Phoenix all at the same time? have all the teams go to separate hotels and then they just get up in the morning, eat breakfast and go play baseball. And it's all live. It's all on ESPN. You know, they're playing at city parks and stuff like that. No fans. Oh, that's cool. Just all the teams. And then they, they're all separate and quarantined and then they come back and play baseball. So they can do that. And I read an article about this and it said, if you want major league baseball to be back to America's pastime, put that on the internet now, right now, now the, the only problem with that is how many people will violate the shelter in place rule to go out and see that? Cause I have to say, no, they're just going to make it so you can't, it's yeah, just, it's not like you, you know, please stay home. They'll just make it so you can't No, but, but I'm saying, you know, I might have to go out and get eggs at that particular time just so I can drive by the park during the middle of the sixth inning to watch uh, my favorite hitter up mm-hmm. to bat. I see what you're saying. I kind of feel like they've, the, the plan for that somehow. Yeah, there's got to be. But, you know, but they've you, got like other all the state, you know, they get the MLB stadium. They got the, I think the University of you know Arizona stadiums. You know, they're just going to play all, all over the place. area because we'll just kind of in that area. That's their plan. Man, I hope so, they can cool. do that. That would be cool. huh? That is far. I don't even like baseball and I would watch it. <laughs> that is far better than fake NASCAR racing on TV. Have, like have, you, ball have you watched? Have you watched any of that? No. I've been watching a lot of old football games. That's kind of an interest of mine. So I'll watch a little football from time to time. Yesterday, I saw the national championship game. Turns out LSU won. I don't know if you knew that. But. Did you bet on it this time? Thinking it would go the other way? <laughs> it didn't. I lost again. Dang it. it was no, but I, I put this on Facebook last week. 
Do you watch old stuff and go, why are those people so close together? <laughs> what are they thinking? Get away. <laughs> you know, like, oh yeah, this is from January. Yes. This is from 1987. You know, I was, I was saying to a colleague of ours on a phone conference yesterday, remember when we were all much younger and naive and we'd go eat at restaurants. Like remember yeah. those days? Oh, yeah. it was fantastic. Hey, let's and, get and to- you, you wouldn't care what seat you had. You're like, I'll just take the one at the bar. Can I just sit? <laughs> I'll right. just squeeze a chair in the I'll, bar. I'll squeeze between those two people I don't know. Yeah. yeah. As long as they can lick everything first. <laughs> uh, let's get to a headline. This one comes to us from Yahoo Sports. As I mentioned, it's written by uh, Therese Paler. A wealth manager to star athletes is hearing more now from clients. Are we good? We prepared? I, I love this. For the better part of a month, the phone calls, emails, and texts have been flooding into Joe McLean's phone. Some of this is simply a product of his trade. As the managing partner of California-based Intersect Capital, he manages the wealth of nearly 50 athletes from the NFL, NBA, MLB, PGA, and NASCAR. It's a tally that includes stars like Clay Thompson of the Gold State Warriors, Nolan Arenado of the Colorado Rockies, Sergio Garcia of the PGA Tour, and Whitney Merciless of the Houston Texans. So sure, under normal circumstances, with millions of dollars on the line, most of his clients are all too willing to call and ask him questions about the best ways to use their money. Prior to early March, some weren't. I think every young person, whether they're an athlete or not, has that sense of invincibility, McLean recently told Yahoo Sports. That's what makes him great, but that same personality trait is also detrimental when it comes to their money. I thought this was fantastic because I remember those days, OG, mid-20s, I couldn't be bothered to save into a Roth IRA. You kidding me? I had a career I was chasing, trying to get my butt out of school, get things rolling and on the right track. IRA, last thing on my mind, man, if I had that to do over again, that sense of invisibility would have gone away and and I would have said, you know. Invisibility or invincibility? Both. both of those things would be amazing. <laughs> both. Either one. 39-year-old Joe today would tell them, you got to get over that. Yeah, 39. Well, this is more physiological, I think, than just telling people to get over it. I've read lots of money and brain books and books around decision making and things like that. And there's a lot of research that suggests that that kind of cause and effect that, you know, you can kind of see in your brain when you're, you know, I'm going to drive 100 miles an hour after 12 beers. The other side of that goes, don't do that. Don't do that those synapses don't really start firing or forming in young adults until they're in their twenties. And which is why you see, you know, you just kind of shake your head and go, why would you jump off a roof into a pool as a 17 year old? Because they don't they don't go beep. Like it doesn't make sense in their brain. <laughs> so I think there's some physiological issues with that, but combine the fact of somebody who's been the best at their position or the best at the thing that they do. You know, you're talking about professional athletes the best in the world at the thing that they do for their entire life and then go, yeah, you're, you can't handle your money correctly. Let me help you with that. And I think you're the, you know, that's a natural restriction. People look at that and say, well, what are you talking about? Yeah. I'm great at this I, thing I, over I, here. I've been, I've been great at everything. Yeah. I want to be good at this. McLean insists the first inquiry he's gotten from most of his clients revolve around the same question. Am I going to get paid? What happens if we don't play another game? What does this mean for my money? It doesn't matter if you're a multi-bajillionaire playing basketball or if you're Joe working down at the factory that might be shut down, OG. Am I going to get paid? What happens if I don't get to go to work? 
What does that mean for my money? Same basic questions. We all think it would be great to all of a sudden be the multimillionaire golf pro or basketball pro. Turns out you have another zero in your bank account. You still worry about the same stuff. It's funny. He says, I can honestly tell that 100% of all the guys have called have asked about what's my budget, man. So if these guys are asking it too, with their money, I think all of us need to be asking right now, what's our budget. It's a great time to be doing what we talked about on Friday show. OG experimenting with your money, seeing if, uh, seeing, Hey, well, what budget software works well for me now? I mean, we, we've got nothing but time now to make, uh, right. to make our systems better. The one thing we never have enough of, I think a lot of people, not everybody, but a lot of people finally have enough of, and we can't spend all those hours just watching Tiger King. I haven't watched a minute watching I, I, Tiger King. I, I have not either. Our second headline comes to us by way of investment news, a uh, industry rag for investment professionals, but a place I like to reference quite a bit because um, it's interesting how different the inside the industry news is from from the consumer news. This is written by Emil Halez. CARES Act student loan relief has few takers. Boy, we're hearing about, even though there's a lot of uh, companies in line for the PPP and the EIDL, two of the big programs out there, like we've been talking about the last couple of weeks, we also have student loan relief, OG, as you know. And, and this is a provision that, frankly, I hadn't even looked at. Listen to this. Employers can pay down their workers' student loans by more than $5,000 this year tax-free under a provision in the CARES Act. Did you even know that existed? I didn't, know. I didn't either until I read this. But a big question is whether many would even consider doing so in the current economy. Included in the recently passed relief is a quirk that allows companies to make payments toward their employee student loans to contribute as much as $5,250 through December 31st, with that money not counting toward workers' taxable income. For people who have jobs and are struggling to pay their loans, that could be great news. Man, if you own a business right now and you want to help out your employees, how great would it be not to just have the relief that that people are getting now, which is many student loans are automatically being suspended. People aren't having to make payments and interest is also not accruing. But having your employer step up and go, hey, guess what I want to do? I'm going to make a tax free payment to your student loan. Be amazing if you could do it. Be yeah. amazing if you could accept it. Yeah. And, and, but I can see why nobody's taking advantage of this. I'm like, uh, I'm trying to keep the doors open. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Let's see. Hey, Bill, uh, I'd like to uh, make a donation to your student loan. Bill's like, Hey, cool. Could you just keep paying me for four more weeks just so that I can keep the lights on in my <laughs> no, house? No, 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 no. I'm going to, I'm going to make a student loan payment. And by the way, you're laid off. Uh, not good. Across industries, however, companies are laying off or furloughing millions of workers, and many are reducing or eliminating the contributions they make to their employees' 401ks. Most employers right now are struggling, but individuals are struggling, said Tara Fung, chief commercial officer at student loan provider Common Bond. But we do recognize that right now there are some companies that are struggling with staffing needs where this benefit could be helpful. So for companies right now, OG, that are right in that line of they're trying to hire people as quickly as possible— this could uh, this could be a great thing. It's like a nice little signing bonus. We'll knock five grand off your student loans. I think the point here is that you. This is a time when you really want to look for 
aid wherever you can find it. We saw Humana last week come out saying, hey, if you've got coronavirus-related health issues, those charges are going to be minimized by that insurer. Uh, You're seeing credit card companies that are coming out with things. You mentioned some student loan companies uh, just helping people with giving them guidance. I feel like there's guidance all over the place. You just have to ask. Well, when there's 865 pages of documentation, you know what I mean? There's just got to be so much that we're going to uncover as time goes on. I think that's takeaway number and one. Just keep just keep looking, I guess. Yeah, dig in wherever you've got an issue, dig in and see if there's help. And then number two is don't have a budget in place. NBA stars asking about their budget, probably a good time for you to be asking about yours. Lydia Finette would be somebody we would have loved to invite down in the basement, but we're going to give her a call here on uh, Dad Shortwave in a second. She's the Managing Director, Global Head of Strategic Partnerships and Lead Benefit Auctioneer at Christie's. She's also one of Gotham Magazine's most influential women in New York. She is somebody that took on the old boys club in the world of fine art. She is not only incredibly engaging and talking about how to present yourself in a way that gets attention. Nobody needs to get attention as much as the auctioneer. Oh, gee. So just just imagine trying to keep people's attention in these rooms that she's in and making sure that she gets the best price. And of course, she's not out there selling paintings. She is uh, doing these benefit auctions. And you and I have been at those. And, you know, it's the have end. Have you ever of- been to a real auction before? Yes, I have. It's crazy awesome. Yes. And do not wave at the person across the room. Do not wave at the person across the room. Let's say hello to Lydia Finette. And here she is on my dad's shortwave, which I'm so sad because this is a person I think we would have had fun with hanging out in the basement. Lydia Finette is here. How are you? I'm hanging in there. Thank you so much for having me. I'm thrilled to be here. Well, hanging in there, three kids at home, like every other mom in America, to some degree, that means pulling your hair out? Yeah. I mean, it's one of those interesting times in life where you have to dig deep, you know, between the three kids homeschooling schedule and my work schedule and my husband's work schedule, there is a lot of scheduling going on. And I think more than anything, we're just trying to roll with things and realize that we're not going to be perfect during this time. And frankly, we never are. So we're trying to do the best we can and just, you know, stay hopeful. I think that's the voice of America right there. We're just trying to roll through it. Absolutely. So I'm from Southwest Michigan, which means, Lydia, when I hear about an auctioneer, I think somebody's farm went under and everybody, <laughs> and everybody's, everybody's in, in, you know, lawn chairs out in their front yard and they're selling everything they own. That, by the way, might be fairly location specific. There aren't a lot of people that think that. A lot of people think something that you talk about in your book, a, an older British gentleman, right, with a great accent who's selling a Monet or a Picasso. Are either one of those the type of auctions that you do? No. And then there's a third type too, which is typically the one that I am asked about, which is, are you a, an auctioneer who talks really fast? <laughs> and I always laugh and say, no, I'm not a cattle auctioneer. I don't sell livestock. I don't sell things on people's front porch either. And I'm not an older British gentleman. 
Honestly, I started taking auctions when I was 24. In the auction world, we use the word taking auction to say that you're the auctioneer. And I started taking auctions when I was 24 years old, and I definitely did not fit any of those descriptions. But I think as you're going to sort of learn, as we discuss my book, The Most Powerful Woman in the Room is You, that's a lot of the story of how I learned to find my own power and how I really became into my own and found confidence in my voice. And it was because I was not any of those things. And I had to find a way to do it, do it differently and do it well. And becoming myself and on stage instead of an older British gentleman, I think is what has eventually distinguished me from many of the other auctioneers out there. Well, well, and you're, you also, the type of auctions you do because they're these benefits. I mean, you've got a room, I've been in these rooms before, Lydia, you've got a room full of drunk people. A lot of time they don't know that you're coming up, right? I remember one time, this is horrible to admit, but I had to call the next day because I didn't realize how much money I'd spent on an auction. And so I had to uh, politely try to figure out how to get the hell out of that. Yeah. You're not the first person, if that makes you feel better. (laughs) I, I believe it, but I still feel embarrassed because it was a great organization I was supporting. But that's generally, you have to take control of that room in a hurry. You do. And the first chapter of the book is laid out. I talk about the strike method. And when I was thinking about this book and how to really get people interested in the auction world, I started to try to think about myself coming from a small town in Louisiana. I had no understanding of the auction world. I didn't know anything about being an auctioneer. And I was sort of like, how do I transport someone into those moments when I'm standing backstage in a cocktail dress, waiting to go out in front of hundreds of New York's elite, the people who are going to give more money to charity than more people could even imagine making in an entire year of their own salary? How do I get their attention and how do I hold their attention? And so for me, the first chapter of the book is talking about the 10 seconds walking onto that stage, what I'm thinking about, how I'm getting laser focused. And then I come out and I have a gavel, like, as I say in the book, that you've seen Judge Judy use it. (laughs) It's a gavel. You've seen, you know, you you see it in sort of law and order SVU when they go to the, when they go to the trial segment. Yeah. Yeah. But for me, I use the gavel and I hit it three times as hard as I possibly can on the podium. And that just immediately gets the attention of the crowd. And it gives me that adrenaline jolt that just pulls it all together for me and really allows me to jump into that auction with the emotion and the adrenaline that I need to control a room of 700 to a thousand people. I want to get back to that because I think that's so important when you present any time to have your thoughts together and to have this ritual or not even, not even if you're, you're presenting, but when you're in these important moments in life, right. But to get to that, I want to talk about how you got there because you have such an interesting career You started as an intern at Christie's. How did you land that gig? Because when I read that you started as an intern there, I was immediately fascinated. It seems like uh, that must have been a wild ride. It was a wild ride. I mean, as I said, I had no experience with the auction world. I didn't know anything about it. I didn't realize that art was something that was actually a business. I thought it was something you'd find in a museum. And as it often happens in my life, I read an article about women who worked in the auction world. It was in 97. Vanity Fair did an entire article on the fact that there was a charity auction for Princess Diana's dresses. And wow, did that capture my imagination. I mean, the thought of being in a place where there was all these glamorous people, and I love getting dressed up. So Everyone was dressed up in this article. In my mind, I think I took it to another degree of dressed up. And, you know, the international element of it, I've always loved travel. There were just so many things that to me captured my imagination. And I just thought I have to work at this place. I don't know how I'm going to do this, but I have to do it. And so just by chance, and it's funny because when I, when I say this out loud, it sounds like 
I'm in an area or I was at a place where everyone worked at Christie's or everyone was an auction, but this was a, a, a Christmas party in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, which is not a bastion of art collecting. People do collect art there, but it is not a place that people often visit because there are so many people collecting art. But I was there and there was a young woman at the Christmas party. And I told my parents, I told everyone I knew I wanted to work in the auction world. And my father pulled this woman over and he said, you've, you've talked about this place called Christie's. This young woman just started working there in an art department. And it was just one of those moments in life that you realize that there is a moment that someone has been placed in front of you and it is up to you to take advantage of that moment and push things forward or to walk away and never say anything about it again. And so I got her in, I got the internship coordinator's information from her and then I stalked her for weeks. And I want to ask you about that in a second, but I want to, I want to pause right there for all of us because I think that just telling everybody that, you know, when you're young, what you want to do, I love that for two reasons. And you bring both of these up. Number one is it's a great way to hold yourself accountable to a goal, right? Mm-hmm. Tell everybody, you know, that you're going to lose weight. Guess what's going to happen. You're at least yeah. going to give it a shot because people are going to bring it up. Yeah. Um, or, or, yeah. 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 I'm going to try to run a marathon or whatever it's going to yeah, be exactly. like, tell everybody what you're going to do. I thought that was great. But then also marketing, like, well, you know, when you, when you're, I mean, how old were you at the time? At that time, I was 20. Yeah. So at 20 years old, I mean, use, you don't have a ton of a network. You have to use everybody that you know. And I thought that was great. But I want to go back just a little further because I was wondering something as I was reading about you. So when you were in college before this, I'm wondering what your parents were thinking as you're studying art history and you're going history around, and art history. not just art, not just art history, history and art history. Well, history and art history. I love the fact that you've succeeded in what a lot of people call, you know, these a liberal arts degree, right? Where right. now we're hearing a lot of people talk about get a degree in something where you can get your hands dirty or something mm-hmm. where, you know, there's going to be a job. I'm not seeing a lot of jobs in art and art history. So what were your parents thinking as you're going through college? You know, my parents have always been very supportive of whatever we do. I mean, the the rule in our family was always, we'll pay for your education. And after that, you're on your own. You know, and I think it was probably the best way to grow up in life. And was very fortunate that my parents were able to pay for my education, but they also had provided us with a nice life. So I wanted to have a nice life, which meant I was going to have to figure out how to have that. And I, for me, art history and history, like whether or not that was the degree, it didn't matter. I was going to find success because that was what I wanted in my own life. And so it sort of made me hungry. And then when I realized, I mean, to be honest, you know, at that age, I'm not even sure I really thought about a job as a career. I, and this is, I say this to people all the time, you know, young women come and ask for advice. And I say to them, I have guy friends who've told me, you know, my dad sat me down when I was in middle school and said, you're going to need to get good grades in middle school. So you can go to good high school. You're going to go to good high school. You go to a good college and you're going to get a good job and you're going to support your family. And I I remember my friend Rob saying that to me and laughing out loud and saying, you know, my parents were always like, do whatever you want. I mean, I grew up in the South. The the idea was that I was going to get married and someone was going to be my husband and they were going to go to work. It was never that I was going to go to New York and work at an auction house. It was never the discussion, but my parents didn't ever say, don't do it. It just was never, Lydia, you need to have this amazing career so you can support the life you want. It was, Lydia, I'm so glad you like history and art history. Find something and then, you know, you'll get married. So for you, you're largely then internally driven. So I want to get back then because I didn't mean to interrupt. Well, I didn't mean to interrupt, I suppose, but, (laughs) but you stalked this woman. I love the story about how you stalked this woman. If you don't mind telling that story. Yeah. I mean, it's actually my favorite part because I say in the book, you know, the book is geared towards sort of younger people because I'm, I'm 40 and 
the women who are in their 20s, I say, I mean, you probably won't even like you can't even imagine that this would have happened. There was a time when people did not have caller ID. Shut the front door. I know. Seriously, like you had to pick up the phone every time somebody called you. And that was what happened to this poor woman. So every morning I would call her and say, good morning, Mrs. Liddy. It's Lydia Finette calling again. I was just wondering, I know you said the internship program was full, but I was wondering if anyone dropped out or perhaps we could work something out so that I could join. And so basically for two weeks, I mean, you should have heard her laugh by the end. She's like, oh no, (laughs) it's this girl again. But by the end of two weeks, she said, I I sort of thought to myself, listen, there's got to be a way. Where there's a will, there's a way. And this is not a finite thing. They're not even paying the interns at this point. It's a free internship program. So why can't I come in? So I said to her, you know, Miss Libby, I'm just wondering, before you hang up the phone on me, I'm just wondering, could you just tell me why you're capped at the number that you're capped at for for the intern program? And she said, well, we do museum visits in the afternoon some days. And there's there's a certain amount that a docent will take around a museum. And immediately it was so clear to me, I didn't need to go on the museum visits. The point was really to be in the office at Christie's and get a job there. So I said, you know, well, what if I came and I did the internship and then, you know what, if someone was sick, I mean, these are college students, obviously someone's going to be hungover and missing the internship. Like this is a guarantee. I will tell you this. I've had probably a hundred interns in my life. There's always one day that someone doesn't make it in. And I said, well, you know, perhaps there would be an opportunity if, Someone didn't go, I could go on the museum visits, but even if not, I could just fill in in case anybody needed someone that afternoon when all the interns were gone. I could be like your pinch hitter. And she didn't say yes, but she didn't say no. And then she called me back an hour later and said, you know what? This is great. You can do a modified internship. You won't do the museum visits. And I said on a, I said on a, an interview, I remember specifically saying to my dad, I think I missed one of the museum visits because of course someone missed every single time, every single one of them. So <laughs> one time I didn't go and that was just fine. So, and, and you did so well there. They offered you a job at the end of that year. They did. Yeah. They, they sat me down at the end of my internship and they said, we've been really impressed with your work ethic. And we really like that. You just always seem like you're in a good mood. <laughs> I was just so happy to be there. You know, I was like shredding paper. I'm six feet tall. I was shredding paper that was as tall as me for days on end and standing by the elevator, just talking to anyone who came by. And, you know, you have a really nice presence and you seem to have a good work ethic and we would love to know if you'd like to have a job. And I said, I would love to have a job. I do need to go back and finish college. And I, because I am so tall, I think everyone just assumes that I'm like, you know, yeah. 25 years older than I am. Yeah, yeah. So uh, they were sort of like, oh, we'll keep in touch with us. And so the next year the job was not available. I went back in for an internship and then was hired out of my internship in the summer paid internship. Man, that's fantastic. And I love that's a story of negotiation. You had to do heavier duty negotiation later on because You know, we talk a lot here about the pay gap in America and you experienced that firsthand. You were told that you were lucky to have a job. That's that was a horrible story as well. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's funny because times have changed. I mean, the past couple of years have been unbelievable in terms of watching this conversation come to the surface. But yeah, I mean, 10 years into my career, I, I found out I was making a third of my salary. And it was one of those things that was so disheartening because I loved my job so much. I mean, if you had asked me my first 10 years at Christie's, if you ask me still, do you love your job? I absolutely love my job. I love my company. I love my colleagues. And so my first 10 years, I just assumed that they were doing what they were supposed to be doing because I was doing everything I could to be there. At the time I was working in the events department, I was working most weeks, seven days a week, 11 hours a day, because we had events nonstop for our clients. We had two weeks off in the summer, but otherwise I was there all the time. And frankly, I didn't mind. I really loved it. But you know, when I came to the realization at how much 
I was getting paid compared to what I should have been paid on the open market, it really lit a fire like nothing I've ever felt in my life. I was so ashamed of the fact that I hadn't pushed to ask for more. I was angry that when I had made sort of small comments about not getting paid, I'd been shut down with, you're lucky to have a job. Oh, you're lucky to, oh, you little girl, you know, come on, Lydia, you're our intern. I'm like, I'm not an intern. I'm running the events department for North and South America. And I'm 30 years old and I've been doing it for four years. I'm not a little girl. And so those conversations were so disheartening. But then, you know, I talk about in the moment, I mean, I remember writing that chapter, chapter three, where I talk about walking in and faking a job offer to actually get the job, the, the salary increase that I wanted. And, you know, for the record, I did not have a job offer on the table. There was no job offer. There was just me telling them when I was leaving in two weeks, which I was not doing, um, which was so funny. I remember my husband, who's my husband now at the time was my boyfriend. He kept saying, what are you going to do? If they call you bluff. I'm like, I'm just going to be like, I actually decided to stay. <laughs> whatever, you know, I'm not really leaving. It's all just an exercise and seeing what I'm worth. But it was just an interesting moment. And I, I remember even writing that chapter, just crying the whole time, We're reliving those moments. And so it was amazing because, you know, the company read the book before it went out sure. and I gave it to them. And I said, I will let you read this book, but I'm not changing anything unless legally I'm going to get in trouble because this is all true. And you guys know this. They all knew this story. It wasn't like anyone hadn't hadn't heard that story in the 10 years since. Well, and also the bad news is, as you know, they're not the only company in America that's done this. Oh, no, no. And I was really proud. Again, I was proud to work for a company that knew that I was going out there with a book with this story in it and that I was going to be touring with it. And they posted the launch dinner for me. So I think it was that moment, you know, when this all started happening, I mean, the book came out last year in 2019, and it was a time when I think a lot of companies were really grappling with the the gender pay gap. How were they going to address it? And, you know, it was incumbent on me as a senior executive female who in some ways was protected because of my job to open that door for conversation and to push push that forward for other people to hear and to not be afraid. Even beyond the gender pay gap, just negotiating. I mean, I thought you did a great job of negotiating with the woman who who ran the who ran the intern program. This is a whole yeah. different level of negotiation. How do you advise yeah. people then to negotiate for more money when you know you're not being paid enough? I think the conversation. What I what I say to people now because I run you know I run a team, and I think the one thing that will make you great in negotiations is to get someone on your side and let them know your expectations early in your career. Because as I say to my team, what happened with me walking in, throwing down a job offer that I didn't have about to walk out of the door is the sign of a boss that is not doing their job well. Because if I'm your boss and you are working on my team, I want to be having a constant conversation about what you are expecting. And I need to be, as a boss, telling you if that's realistic. You know, you want this amount of money? Look, we cannot get there this year. This is a two-year process. Or I've said it before to people on my team, you're great but I don't think you're going to go any further than this. So Hmm. let's find another job for you. Let me help you find something outside of this department, because this is not a place where you're going to continue to grow. So I would say to someone, before you get into a salary negotiation where you feel like you have to throw down everything and burn the house on the way out, on the way out of the door, fake a job. Yeah. Fake a job (laughs) offer to leave, involve your boss, tell them what you want and what you need and get that realistic feedback about whether or not it's going to happen. And then, you know, at some point with HR, I say, you always ask for more than you think you're going to get. I mean, a friend of mine says it to me all the time, you have to make them wince. They're mm. at a bigger number than you think you're going to get because 
even if they bat you down, it probably won't be as far as you would have started on your own. So make them win. I think about this advice that my mom has in a book where it's from Melissa, age eight, who says, if you want a kitty, start off by asking for a pony. And you're saying the same thing. <laughs> yes. Exactly. You'll probably get it in my house. You'll get a goldfish. <laughs> That's right. Actually, you're not getting anything. <laughs> I would love if you wouldn't mind to talk a little bit about becoming an auctioneer, because you talk a lot about selling yourself. And to some degree, I think we're all selling ourselves. And I think you figured out some great lessons as you began to climb that ladder. Absolutely. I've learned so much from being an auctioneer. I can't even tell you. I mean, from the trial process where, you know, I talk about in the book, it's a little bit like Survivor. You go into a room with 20 people. And in my case, they whittled it down to four of us. And I was the youngest person in there by 10, maybe 15 years. I was training with all guys. And I think that the judges thought that I were good and I was good enough to do something. They weren't exactly sure what it was going to look like. So I just pretended that I was an older British gentleman. I sort of affected a weird Madonna-esque quality British accent and was very stiff and formal on stage. And I did this, you know, when you talk now about success, I mean, the, the hours I spent taking auctions that were so painfully mediocre and in some cases just painful <laughs> where I walked into rooms of people who paid no attention to me. They bid, you know, a quarter of what we wanted them to bid. I couldn't get the crowd's attention. It was just so defeating. And I did it over 500 times for five years. Then I had this moment where I walked on stage one night. I was so sick. I'd been sick the entire day and I walked on stage really just not feeling well at all. Not really feeling like I could pretend to be an old British man because I was just lucky to actually be standing up at this point. I stared down at this woman who'd been seated next to me at a dinner, I mean, excuse me, at a lunch where I was the head of events for Christie's at this point. I'd been broken up with by the person that I thought I was going to marry. And I cried the entire lunch to this woman. She was one of our top clients. She could not have been kinder. I mean, I couldn't get a breath. She started with napkins. It went to the tablecloth at one point because the tears were so, it was so quickly. She gave me wine. She was giving me chocolate. She was seated right in front of me at this auction. And, you know, I have really a funny sense of humor. I don't know if it's coming across in this interview. <laughs> I do. I would like to say, for those of you who are listening, that I for, the, for the record, <laughs> yes. Yeah. Everyone's like, she's not a comedian. But I, I promise on stage, I am quite funny. I got on stage and I looked down and I saw this woman and the first lot was a cocktail party at her house. And if I'd been selling this lot at any other point, I would have said exactly as I'd been trained. Lot number one is a cocktail party and an art tour of so-and-so's apartment on the Upper East Side. 10 people, dinner will be provided. I'll start the bidding at $1,000 or whatever. And in this case, I said, you know, lot number one is a dinner and a cocktail party at so-and-so's apartment. You will see an art collection, but you should also know I sat next to so-and-so at a lunch when the man I thought I was going to marry dumped me. And she literally nursed me back to health over the course of one lunch. So if you're currently seeing a therapist, you should save your money because this woman is Oprah. And it was so funny because it's kind of what I would have said to my friends. And it was so irreverent and off the cuff. And it just kind of came out because I felt so horrible that I didn't really care. And the audience for the first time, it was sort of this stunned silence. And then they started to laugh and then they started to bid. And then I started to just sort of roll with, she's Oprah, da, 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 da. And all of a sudden the jokes started coming. And then I realized that what I was missing from this entire being on stage, pretending I was someone else was the fact that I was a, at that point, 29 year old woman on stage doing a job that was not meant for me. And what is funnier than that? 
Honestly, people sat me at the kids' table. People would ask me questions like, do you think you're going to be able to handle this? Meanwhile, I'm accruing so much experience while I'm doing this. I can be in front of anyone at this point. But what I was missing was that authenticity and selling that made it interesting for someone to watch. And man, once I learned that, it was like the wheels just came off. And all of a sudden, I had this totally new approach to auctioneering. And, you know, it could have just been that the auctions were going well, but the auctions were raising three times as much as the ones that I'd taken the year before, because I was doing them year over year. And when this approach at work started spreading, people kept requesting me to take the bigger and bigger auctions until the point that I was teaching the class. And I realized that authenticity was just the key. That's what I was missing. That's what I needed. And I mean, I took auctions pregnant and I get on stage and say, who do you think is more uncomfortable, everyone? Is it you? Or is it me? I'm <laughs> pregnant. I promise it's you. I promise it's you. Let's get me off this stage. <laughs> we got a job to do here, people. Yeah, you here at the hospital. Here we go. So, you know, I think that that was a great lesson for me. And that was all learned on stage. And it breaks my heart right now because I'm missing probably about 40 auctions in New York. Oh, because yeah. I know we're in, we're in April and May, which are the gala season in New York. And so I think about the organizations, Lydia, that would have received all that money and my heart goes out. Yeah. I mean, it's in many cases, it's 70% of the operating budget for the companies, you know, food bank of New York is one that I take and they're getting, you know, you can imagine when something like this happens, there are people who they don't even have food for the next week, much less the next day. And they're just, they're all getting hurt. So I'm hoping and I'm hopeful that once everyone has stayed inside long enough and we've done our duty to this country by staying inside that, you know, this fall or whenever, whenever it is safe, I can be back out there raising money for nonprofits. I want to talk about a couple of takeaways from that story. Number one, I think, is when you talk about authenticity, whenever I hear from somebody, they say, oh, they're a natural salesperson and I meet them. They're kind of a slimy salesperson, like the best salespeople I know, Lydia, are people that are so, they're just connectors, mm-hmm. you know, they're just people and, and they're not really selling. And I found that to be, I think, integral in your story was that you you were just being you, like you yeah. got rid of the British dude and you were you and people all of a sudden wanted to buy in a much bigger multiple. Yeah. And I, look, in my day job at Christie's, I run strategic partnerships. So I pitch all day long. And people always say, well, you know, what are you going to say when you walk in there? And I say, I'm looking at a different person every time I walk in the door. So the story is going to be different because I have to cater my sales to them. If I'm talking to, you know, someone who's my parents' age, the first thing I ask about are grandkids because they want to talk about something like that. So give me a lead into the sale. Let me understand what you need. And then let me help you get there with what I have. And much like with this woman, life is all about those connections, I feel like. You know, I mean, the older I get, the more connections matter. Not so much for sales or for success, but just for me. Like the fact, and I think that's what we're all missing right now, right? A lot of us hold up at home or here in mom's basement. We're, yeah. <laughs> we're, we're, we're missing those connections, Lydia. Absolutely. I agree. I mean, I feel like I can't even tell you how many friends are on house party all of a sudden, you know, wanting to meet up at night, people who I probably talk to, you know, once every two months, and maybe we'll text every once in a while, we're texting nonstop all day. And again, it's just, it's like humanity that we're missing. Yeah. We're missing the the smile and the eyes and the, and the wave from somebody. And I really, as a, as a complete extrovert, cannot wait <laughs> until the day when we can leave <laughs> and you can leave your mom's basement and I can leave the house with three children and, 
be around other people. It's, it will come. It will happen. I, I believe it. I believe it. Someday. 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 The book is That's called <laughs> The book is called The Most Powerful Woman in the Room is You. Command an audience and sell your way to success. I told you this when you and I first started talking. I know I'm not the most powerful woman in the room, but I couldn't put it down as I'm reading about your career. It's just, it's fascinating and a lot of great information from a source. Frankly, we don't, I mean, I've never talked to an auctioneer on the show. So <laughs> well, I hope it was a good experience. And now, you know, I'm funny because I told you. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. I wrote that down. Lydia says she's funny. Lydia is so funny. Yes. I know it's funny. You know, a lot of people have asked me why I wrote the book for women. And I just said that I think that women needed we need to hear it because yeah. I do see a lot of guys who are so confident in their sales and I just don't see it in that many women. And so I wrote it for women, but it's for everyone. And both of my brothers who read it both said to me, you should have said it's the most powerful person in the room. And I said, you know what? That just doesn't have the same ring. And I couldn't have made the book hot pink if it was the most powerful person in the room. That's right. Um, and I'm very comfortable with a pink book in my hand. So, yeah. so it was fine for me. I always say to people, I say to my guy friends, look, if you want to read it and you don't feel comfortable with a hopping cover, it's red underneath. So just take off the cover and you can read it <laughs> with a red book. Um, but you'll look very woke if you read it. Absolutely. A, yes, yes. Lydia, thanks for hanging out with us and, and yeah. talking about auctioneering. Absolutely. It was such a pleasure. And thanks for brightening the day. It's nice to see face-to-face -face someone who has such a great show. So I appreciate it. Hey stackers, I'm Joe's mom, Saber Doug. You need to see all this discount Easter candy I collected so the neighborhood kids will quit calling me names. It's a sight to behold. They're, they're going to finally love me. Yeah, I've got all the good stuff. Some of those little round ones, a few of the bunnies where you bite the ears off first. I mean, who doesn't do that? You got to bite the ears off first. You can't bite the tail off first. You got to bite the ears off first because it would just be weird. Otherwise, I mean, I got everything. I got all the candy. I'm not letting anybody near my stash. You and I both know wherever there's candy, you're sure to find Joe's mom snooping around. But old Doug, man, oh, I'm on a mission. I'm on a mission, baby. Oh, yeah. I've hidden everything where she's not going to expect it. It's right behind the fake log in the fireplace. She's never going to look, never going to look behind the fake log in the fireplace. I'm going to be a neighborhood hero with all the kids. Hey, odd. So it got me thinking about today's trivia question. I only wanted to collect candy that I'm sure the neighborhood kids are going to love. So which candy will not be found in my hiding spot? So, you know, you, you, you take all the amazing candy and then you think about all the really crappy candy. The crappy candy won't be there behind the log. I mean, behind the log in the fireplace. The crappy candy isn't going to be there. So uh, uh, that's what the question is. I'm going to give you some time to chew on that while I go chew off some more uh, ears of the, the bunners. I mean, the bunnies. The, 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 the kids won't even miss the ears. I mean, who likes the ears, really? Uh, but you got to eat the ears first. But but the, the, the kids are never going to miss them. You think about the trivia question. I'll be, I'll be right back. Oh, my God, I got to shut up. What if you two could be balding and own your own podcast production company? Think that would be too good to be true? Well, strap on the wow helmet, kids, because we're about to introduce you to Sacking Benjamins in the Cab. Now, you two can create a moderately successful internet radio show from the comfort and privacy of your own mom's basement. That's right. Stacking, Stacking Benjamins, Benjamins in the, the can, can is the do-it-yourself kit that's creating tons of internet fun. What's included? Well, feast your eyes on this, kids. Open up your Stacking, Stacking Benjamins, Benjamins in the can, can, and you'll see 14 ways to talk about your latest trip to Bavaria. 18 of the worst bad dad jokes you've ever heard. Your own barely relevant holiday calendar. A sealed container brimming with the smells of stale basement air. And day-old pizza. 
plus one script chock full of segue ideas. And because there was still a little room, we also shoved in your very own Steak Brother story. All in the can. But that's not all. Think we can't do better? Oh, yes, we can. We've also thrown in the can five gratuitous references to OG's after-school activity, three boring tales about how cold it is in Detroit, and if you call in now, tons of free Sizzler coupons. How do you get it? You know that's not the question to ask. Oh, go ahead, ask us. How do I get it in the can? Here's the secret to stacking Benjamins in the can. Just head to your mom's basement. Buy a microphone, and we'll take care of the rest. Stacking, Stacking Benjamins, Benjamins in the, the can, can couldn't be easier. Still not sold? What if I told you Stacking Benjamins in the can is, is gluten-free? Gluten That's right. Healthy, barely funny, and all stuffed into this refillable souvenir container. Call for yours today. Operators are standing by. No animals were harmed in the making of this recording. Trivia fans, it's Joe's mom, Saber Duggan. It's expected. Um, Joe's mom, she was just down here poking around asking if I've seen any Easter candy. Oh, I'm not proud of myself. I'm not proud of myself. Okay, I'm a little, little proud of myself because it's, it's for the kids. It's for the kids. But um, I, I lied. I lied because I told her I don't know what she's talking about. And she asked me what the chocolate uh, on my face was because there's like chocolate on my face. And uh, I told her it, it was it's none of her business, lady. And, and I licked it off like right in front of her, just like all around, just licked it all. Off. It was so good the second time around. That woman is so jealous of all the candy I collected for the neighborhood kids. And now she won't be the only one handing treats out around here. They're not all just going to love here. They're going to love me too, just as much. And I'm not going to be called names anymore by those ungrateful twerps, which reminds me. Uh, oh yeah. Um, Today's trivia question, um, it was, let me think, uh, I was eating ears off bunnies, I'm collecting the candy, and it was, oh, I got, oh, yeah, I was collecting all the best candy, and I'm asking you, if I'm only collecting the best candy, what's the worst candy that you're not going to find in my pile of all the best candy? So, um, which one is it? Uh, okay. Um, oh, slow down, Doug. Whew, I'm a little bit... Oh yeah, okay. I'm really, you know, I'm just trying hard to impress these neighborhood kids with only Easter candy they're gonna love. So which uh, candy won't be in my secret hiding place? Well, if you said Three Musketeers, come on, get a clue. Everybody loves the Three Musketeers. They're handsome. They're personable. They're out there swashbuckling and saving people, and it's so smooth and silky in your mouth. But if you said Peeps, yeah. Duh, those things are little squishy piles of crap. That's what they are. When straight up asked if shoppers like peeps, a whopping 73% said, oh, hell no. But regardless of which Easter candy makes you hop up and down, 85% of shoppers plan to spend up to 50 bucks last year. 50 bucks? That's it? Are you kidding me? Oh my God, I got at least $75 worth of treats. And those were the discount ones, but I got them hidden 
in the fireplace behind the fake log because nobody looks behind the fake log in the fireplace. We always knew your old friend neighbor Doug was above average and this just seals it up as F-A-C-T factual. That's right. Okay, time to get back to my candy. See ya! You fan of the peeps? Uh, no, not really. I have one or two of them. By the way, did mom ask? Did mom ask you where Doug's candy was? Yeah, I told her behind the fireplace. <laughs> no, you ain't, didn't. ain't nobody lied to ma. No, you didn't. Because <laughs> she asked me too, and I just gave her up. I, I don't know. I don't know. Oh, you're horrible. You're a horrible human being. Hey, uh, thanks to Lydia Finette for chatting with us today. You know, oh, gee, this idea of your strike moment, right? Getting people's attention reminds me of this book that I read called Lions Don't Need to Roar and uh, talks about how when you go speak in front of a group, nobody can hear your heart beating except you. Mm -hmm. And so standing there and saying nothing and just looking around the room until you get it together gets people's attention. You know, Lydia talks about having that gavel and then standing in front of the room, uh, I found when I was a speaker, just standing and staring and it gets everybody quiet and wondering what the hell you're going to say. And then having that first thing for her, it's the gavel moment. Having that first thing that's going to be a bang out of the gate is a great way to, to present yourself. I just go, shh. <laughs> and you laugh, but in a room of people, if one person starts doing it, everybody starts doing it. Yeah. It's like a Pavlovian response for some reason from our grade school years or something. I'm not exactly sure, but, but everybody starts going, shh. Yeah. Don't they, they just really kind of dulls <laughs> in, a, in a quick hurry. Don't want to be that person. Uh, when you've got I'm a big, going to carry a gavel from now on, but when you, <laughs> if you grade feet like Lydia, may I have your attention, please. Bam, bam, bam. I object your honor. I object. Well, between I the fact that, that between the fact that Lydia is six feet tall and hammers on that gavel, I'm like, all right, I'm in. I'm just don't don't mess with Lydia. Uh, hey, let's throw out the Haven Lifeline and tackle some of life's most important questions. Our friends at Haven Life Insurance Agency, they put what you value first. Oh, my favorite things are those Cadbury mini eggs. They seem to uh, disappear pretty quickly in our house. My problem with those is to quote Jeff Garland is that, you know, they call those fun size candies. And he's like, that's not fun size. That's frustrating size. Because I, I unwrap one of those things, I'm unwrapping 10. I'm way unwrapping 10, which is why I prefer just one big old hunk of candy. Give me that big old Easter bunny candy. I don't care if it's hollow inside. Okay. But anyway, they say it's your loved ones and your time. And that's why they've made buying quality term life insurance actually simple. Head to stackybenjamins.com forward slash Haven Life now to get a free quote. Their application is simple. It's online. You get an instant coverage decision. Prices are affordable. All policies issued by parent company Mass Mutual, more than 160-year-old insurer. Today, we're throwing out the lifeline to Stefan. Say hi, Stefan. Hey, Joe and OG. My wife and I are fortunate enough to be financially comfortable despite this recent downturn. We're both 30 years old, we're making good money, and we spend within our means. I'm contributing to my 401k, but we're not going to need it anytime soon. I work for an essential business, and I'm not worried about loss of income. We also own a rental property, which is fully occupied and cash flowing. We did put some renovation budget on zero interest cash advance credit card, but we're on track to pay that off. We have a modest emergency fund in case we get any curveballs in the next few months, and not to mention we will also be receiving the stimulus checks from the federal government. 
All this is to say we're very comfortable right now. I'm not ignoring the news, but we're insulated from it. Here's my question. We already filed our tax return, and we're receiving a $15,000 refund this year. Holy. Long story short, I didn't change my withholdings after getting married and buying the building. I need to do that this year. Knowing that we should maintain access to cash for this uncertainty in the near future, but also looking at the stock market going on sale right now, I was thinking about using this money to max out both of our Roth IRA accounts. I can hear OG is taking a deep breath, so rest assured that I'm not trying to time the market, and I understand that it could certainly go down further in the coming weeks. But we're prepared for that. We know the stock market will eventually recover, and in general, we're down about 30% from where we should be. Besides, if an emergency comes up, we can always take our contributions back out of our Roth accounts at any time, penalty-free. I won't be changing our allocations or affecting our long-term plan, just dumping more money into it. So what do you think? Thanks. Hey, thanks for the call, Stefan. Stefan is sitting in what most of us are jealous of right now. I was going to say, nice flex, dude. <laughs> yeah, you know, things are pretty good. Got a nice uh, cash reserve, make a ton of money. Um, I, not really worried about anything. I got these guns right here. I was wondering. I know, I know they're huge and wonderful looking. I wonder if they could be. Living a, pr- living a pretty good life. Got lots of money. I don't know. Did I tell you that? I've got tons of money. <laughs> And um, I'm pretty good about everything. <laughs> Haven't been paying attention to anything lately. I'm so my life is so good. I don't have to t- pay attention to the news. <laughs> How great is it to oh, be in his position? To be in my young 30s with yes. the confidence. You know that reminds me of that uh, that quote we were talking about. You know the athletes. This is one of my favorite quotes recently. Confidence is what a man feels just before he learns all the facts. <laughs> Man, does that fit for a lot of stuff, doesn't it? But here in, in Stefan's case, I think he has looked at all the facts. I like the fact that he's not going to change his allocation. He's getting this money. He's going to deploy it right away, which is not trying to time the market. It's just doing the right thing, right? If 70% of the time it goes up and now... 70% of the time it works all the time. Don't Put it in the Roth. Do it. Yep. No, no, no problem there, Stefan. And fix your tax withholdings because that is annoying. To get a fifteen thousand dollars tax refund, this is congratulations t- on your success, too. By the way, yeah. I've had a lot of conversations over the last month and a half. There are people who are rightfully worried about what's going on, and then there are people who are rightfully just putting one foot in front of the other. And it sounds like he's one of those people, you know, yeah. that uh, that is just, hey, I'm keeping on, keeping on, and that's great. And because of the good decisions that he and his family have made up to this point. By doing the plan the right way and by building uh, the discipline and accountability in along the way gives them the flexibility to be able to make these choices at this point. So congratulations on uh, following your plan and having the results of it now, which is, hey, I've got 15 grand. What do I do? It's great. Good job. At first, I thought that Stefan, though, OG was going to talk about maybe beefing up that reserve because he said he has a moderate cash reserve in case... uh, in case he gets a curveball, this is a time, and there are very few times, and I don't like this, is kind of a second tier cash reserve for more aggressive people, like Stefan seems to be. I still am a big fan of a Ginny May mutual fund. I think a, a Ginny May mutual fund, if you're okay with losing out sometimes, uh, 2013, notably, Ginny May funds lost two, two and a half percent range. Uh, that year, you know, looking at so far this year, up two and a half percent. Last year, five percent. Two thousand eighteen, point six. 
So looking at um, looking at those type of returns as a as a place where hey Plus I, the dividends though yeah and I might need money but I don't need money right now but I might need money in the next five years that's a nice flexible place you got to be comfortable with every once in a while taking it on the chin with a Ginny May but well but uh, hardly two percent is a taking it on the chin right right and well and if you, <laughs> and if there's ever a time to talk about it not being taking it on the chin it's it's right now. But if he did need that money in a place where maybe he's going to deploy it in the next few years, Ginny Mae's still one of my favorites, isn't the same as a treasury, which means that in the risk reward scale, it's seen as a little bit riskier. The question to ask yourself is, would something bad happen to a Ginny Mae? The answer historically has been no, but obviously we're sitting here in very <laughs> uncertain times, so you can never predict the future, OG. But it's very much like having a government bond with a little, little extra bump in returns I found that I don't get in treasuries. And you know what? I also feel like with Ginny Mays, like I'm helping people, which gives me a, a nice- People helping people. Yeah. It gives me a nice warm fuzzy. I'm helping low-income housing. from a movie. And at the same time- People helping people. Making, making a little money. Uh, so Stefan, I know you're not going that way, but for anybody listening, I did, you know, it's a little aggressive, but, uh, second year cash reserve. Thanks for the question, Stefan. You've got a question for us related to your money in the times of coronavirus or anything head to stackybedjamins.com forward slash voicemail. We are also answering, I'm answering questions on Instagram. We'll see if we can have OG answer some questions on Instagram from people we're going to keep the ball rolling as much as possible. We've had YouTube chats, Facebook live chats. We're trying to answer as many questions as you might have during a very uncertain time. So thanks to Stefan for uh, asking that question. Stackingbenjamins.com forward slash voicemail if you'd like uh, us to answer yours. Hey, that's going to do it for today. We'll let Doug thank everybody, but thanks to you for hanging out with us. I know that your commute now may be from your bedroom to the kitchen table and you're not listening to us maybe at the usual times, but it's been uh, a great time to remember how special this community is and how, how fun it is hanging out with you, OG. And even though we're social distancing by all staying six feet apart, OG finally doesn't look so weird with your mask on. You're like the everyman now. Yeah. Yeah, I'm waiting for uh so the whole uh side of my face thing is uh good. So that that has gotten fixed um thanks to a uh teledoc. And um uh now I need to get a pair of clippers to cut my hair because it's like <laughs> I can put it in a top knot it's so long. I'm, I'm I can do a man bun. As you know, I don't grow hair on the top of my head, but I grow these sideburns and I'm getting this Martin Van Buren thing going again. So I like it. Got to figure out how to get rid of that. Lastly, if you're somebody that needs good financial planning help in your corner and you're asking yourself, hey, how's the budget? Am I going to be okay? Like a pro football player would. Well, if you're the biggest pro in your community or with your family and you want better help in your corner, OG and his team taking clients right now, stackybenjamins.com forward slash OG. All right, that's going to do it for today. Doug, you've got it from here, man. What should we have learned today? Sure thing, Joe. I can tell everybody what they should have learned today. I mean, it's super easy. All you got to do is just pay attention and listen, and, and you can easily just pick up all the lessons that you're trying to... Yeah. Okay, fine. I'll tell him. Yeah, I'll tell. I don't know why I'm talking so fast. It, it's just, I'm like, my head's buzzing, and I'm just so 
dialed in today. It's amazing. Okay, first, uh, take a lesson from our headline. No matter how much money you earn, until you adopt a mindset of a saver, you're always going to be broke. Always, always, always going to be broke. Second, take a lesson from Lydia Finette. When you embrace and channel your own power, you can take charge of any room. But the big takeaway... Oh my God, what is that? Smell the, oh, it's horrible. Oh my God. She f- lit the fireplace up in April. The lady turned the f- fireplace on. Who does that? Oh my God. And the, oh, have you ever smelled burnt chocolate? Oh, it's awful. Oh my God. And the kids, think of the kids who are now going to be going without all of Doug's Easter candy that I wanted to give to them so they would like me in the oh god woman what is the matter with you I will never forgive you and I'm not sure she's ever gonna forgive me honestly she yelled at me to never come back to the basement but I know that's exactly what she wants so I'm not never not leaving this place until she repays me for all of the money I spent on that candy. You hear me, woman? I'm staying. Big thanks to Lydia Finette for joining us. You'll find a link to Lydia's book, The Most Powerful Woman in the Room is You. Me? Really, it's me? Wow, it's like she's talking right to me. Anyway, you're going to find out that amazing book that talks about how I'm the most powerful person in the room on her show notes page at stackingbenjamins.com. This show is created by Joe Saul Seahide, produced by Richie Rudder-Reese, and engineered by the amazing Steve Stewart. Online, visit us on Twitter at SBenjamin'sCast or on our Facebook page. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug, and it appears I've fallen and I can't get up. SB Podcasts may receive payment on the show from sponsors and guests in the form of books, giveaway items, discounts, or other remunerations. That's a big word. There's no way you take advice from these dorks, but like Joe's mom always says, don't take advice from people you don't know. This show is for entertainment purposes only. And before making any financial decisions, consult with a real financial advisor. Well, like a lot of people in America, I've been watching a ton of TV, just a ton. I don't know. Have you been watching a bunch? Not a lot. No. I mean, we watched a few movies. I've been watching the Batman movies with my kids, the Christian Bale ones. Still kind of muddling through Schitt's Creek. 
which I think is so funny. really funny. Just really, really, really funny. The last season as they go through it, I'm watching it on uh, Hulu. I was watching most of it on Netflix, but Netflix doesn't show a series until the season's completely over. Uh, okay. So I've caught up and now as they're finishing this last season, I'm watching it. And at the end of every episode, if you just wait a couple days, they have this uh, this making of of every episode where a bunch of the cast gets together and they talk about what they were thinking. And it's really cool to see this show that seems to be so dumb, like how much thinking goes into what they're trying to do. And what I love about that show is that in in half an hour, there's such a strong sense of characters, you know, right. just every character is so different than than the other characters. Well, that's the thing I think that separates, you know, the good stuff from the not so good stuff. Obviously, we put a lot of time and energy into this. And I think people would be surprised maybe to know that despite the fact that we try to kind of sort of make it up on the spot and it feels like it, it's a full on operation. You know, we think about what we're going to say for a long time before we say it, most of us. And I think that's the separation of you know, it's just kind of off the cuff type stuff and and, and an actual production. You know, those are professional comedians who are trying to make the perfect joke land at the perfect time with the audience. And I'm not comparing us to Eugene Eugene Levy Levy. or Catherine (laughs) O'Hara. I need to stretch the imagination, but you know, there's a lot of stuff into it. They don't just show up and read the script. You know, they probably go through it 25 times. Like, you know, do I, do I put the emphasis on the syllable? Do I put the emphasis on, you know, like where do I put this to make it, uh, to make it funny? And then the thing that they have that we don't have, which makes it exponentially more difficult is they've got the video component of it. Yeah. So they also have to look the part in addition to, cause that's part of the humor also. So it's, it's uh, so funny. Just the facial expressions that uh, David has, especially well, well, or Alexis, when she goes into her, Little little thing with her shoulders, just very very funny. Uh, I just got to the episode where they just bought the car, and <laughs> at the very end, at the very end, he's he says, uh, you know, we got a good deal on this, and you know, we need a family car. And Alexa says, "Is this a car for dead people?" <laughs> She's like, "No, it's not a hearse." Uh, so Cheryl and I were flicking around Netflix, just looking for something. And we saw this new series out, hoping to find something new to watch. This is uh, the trailer for a show called uh, Letter for the King. If you set your mind to it. If you do what I know you can do. You will become... Week and the fire that we are about to start will destroy everything that still remains. Take this lesson. You must deliver it to the king. The future of the entire kingdom depends on it. Thousands will die. How do you get a letter to the king? You think just anyone can waltz in and see the most powerful man in the world? We face it together. I carry the letter, you ride the horse. She's a sweetheart. <laughs> so this uh, young boy uh, trying to be a knight, and he's absolutely horrible at uh, being a knight. 
all of a sudden finds himself on this epic quest to get this letter to the king when everything is uh, stacked against him. So he runs into a bunch of unlikely allies, mostly also kids like him. And you get this uh, this story of kids on this quest to save the world. So from a thousand feet out, and actually while I was watching it, it's six episodes long, just a fun romp. And frankly, at that point, after all of the daily news day by day and the heartbreak and the horrible things happening all over the place that you can't escape, something very, very escapist. And I would say family friendly, except for a few scenes. And I don't. I just don't understand why a series that seems to be going the right way just insists on taking a few steps where you go, really, this is this is so close to being just uh, just absolute family fun. Like, I don't I don't I don't understand it. And I think that's why, because of the tacked on nature of some of the adult material in here makes me just go, yeah, if, if, if it was real life characters like as an example Shit's Creek there are so many adult jokes in that show but it all feels real and that it serves the plot and that it all makes sense to me the 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 whole series of Shit's Creek just makes sense i rarely during that show felt like the dominoes fell in a way that was different than what where the story should probably go without knowing and still you know being surprised and Letter to the King, there's a bunch of cool surprises. There's a couple really big surprises that I liked. But generally, you know, IMDb, I just looked now, gave it a 5.9 on a scale of 1 to 10. I'd give it the same. It was escapist, fun, largely family entertainment. A few a few things where I'm like, did the story re- really? Like, I didn't, I didn't really buy it. And I don't want to spoil the story. But um, generally thumb three quarters up if you're just looking for something quick to get away. I'll tell you how good this was. I know I made it sound just now a little not that great. Episodes are about 45 to 55 minutes in length each one. Cheryl and I watch four of them back to back on Saturday night. And on Sunday, we watch the final two the second we woke up. So within a matter of 12 hours, we watched the whole thing. You got the whole thing done. Yeah, yeah. It was that good. It was it was good enough that I that I want to know the story. I enjoyed the story. I just got done and it didn't feel as fulfilling as as I wished it had. Hmm. So letter to the king. Six out of ten. Six out of ten. Yeah, I agree. Well, stackers, the show might be over, but the celebrations are just beginning because it is Military Appreciation Month, and I want to celebrate people like my brother-in-law, Eric, who is such a giving person. Eric will do just anything for you. And as a Marine, you can see that his time in the military taught him to be a guy who gives to his community, gives to his family, and is always there when you need them. This Military Appreciation Month, Navy Federal Credit Union wants to celebrate members like Eric who go above and beyond. Navy Federal offers member-only exclusive rates, discounts, and tools to empower their members and help them reach their goals. Navy Federal's employees are part of the community they serve. Many of them are military family members, reservists, or veterans, and all branches of the military, veterans, DOD employees, and their families are eligible for Navy Federal membership. In fact, there are so many resources on the Navy Federal website, resources like Best Cities After Service to help veterans transition to civilian life 
and best careers for military spouses to support military families. Visit NavyFederal.org slash celebrate and you'll see all of their Military Appreciation Month offers and other Navy Federal offers. Navy Federal is insured by NCUA, Equal Housing Lender.